Hey, fellowship. Wow, that was probably the best one. The third service, and I've said that every service, and y'all are awake and excited. That, that just warms my heart. So. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm glad you're with me. I believe that what I have to share with you this morning is from God. And here's what I tell people is that I don't want to get in God's way. You know, I pray, God, I want them to hear your voice. If I get in your way, remove me. So if I fall over, just know I got in God's way this morning. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully I'm still standing at the end. Anyhow, I'm Pastor Tom Atkinson. I have the privilege of serving here at Fellowship of the Rockies as the discipleship pastor. And I wanted to slow that down and say that really clear because somebody at the last service said, are you the discipline pastor? <laughs> Which is just completely awkward. But yes, yes I am. So, discipleship pastor, I'm the guy who works with all the incredible people that want to come alongside you and help you take the next step with God. One of the opportunities I have is to uh, oversee our life group ministry. And my heart and my prayer is that each and every person that attends, that is here, that is a part of our fellowship family, is plugged into a life group. And so, though today is not a giant commercial about life group that's not my heart i am going to talk to you about community i want us to be involved in community that's that's my passion i get geeked out when we have the opportunity to talk about community but i want to start out this morning by introducing you to some of my friends it would be unfair for me to stand up here and not introduce you to my friends so let me introduce you to a couple of my friends this is mike and don and that's their kids michael and madison i, I met mike my first year i was on staff Mike works as a school administrator. He's been involved in education for over 20 years, and he loves what he does. Don works full-time, but is seen more as the taxi driver for both Michael and Madison, and sometimes moms, we can relate, right? Okay. Madison's also involved in dance, and you can imagine the kind of schedule they keep up between full-time jobs and trying to keep up with their kids' activities. Next is Joel and Jenny. I want you to meet Joel and Jenny, and that's baby Stella right there. I met Joel uh, at a men's retreat. Uh, he had gotten married to Jenny and was looking to connect with people in his stage in life. Jenny's main priority is taking care of baby Stella. And because of the responsible, she says, I'd love to find some work outside the home, but I don't have anybody to help me with some child care, so for right now, I'm content taking care of baby Stella. Joel and Jenny moved here four years ago uh, for Joel's job, and their family is back east, and Joel was telling me last week how tough it is being here for his great job, but feeling alone with all his family back home, and it's tough to get connected. But I need to warn you about Stella. Stella is just as mischievous as her father. And so you got to be careful with Stella. You just don't know what to expect. She's just going to act up and be full of life. Next is Angela and Nick. Nick and Angela, and that's their kids, Jefferson and Abigail. And Nick is probably, quite possibly, one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Okay? He just has a sense of humor that is off the charts. And Angela, I'm telling you, she supports her husband by teaching and also baking, and that girl can bake. I'm just telling you, every time we get together, she makes some food that I'm telling you is just smack your mama good. <laughs> no offenses to moms. And that's just a saying. I've never done that. 
I just want to make it very clear. It's not like I sat at the dinner table and, thanks, Mom. That's not what I've done. But, okay, so moving on before it gets really awkward. Uh, the kids are Jefferson and Abigail. Jefferson loves to play saxophone, and to be honest, the kid can rock a saxophone. And Abigail is a straight-A student, and she will not let anything get in the way of her studies. Now, here's a little secret. Here's the problem, and it's this. <laughs> They're not real. I, the real people, they stood there for a picture, but I took the picture off the internet. You're all thinking maybe they attend another service. No, they're my made-up community. They're, that's my make-believe community. Some of you are thinking that's really weird. Uh, does he have picture frames in his house where he just keeps the picture in them too? Um, they're just, you know, these are just pictures I grabbed off the internet. I call these people my ideal friends because I don't have to work at being involved in their lives. And, and they're not really that involved in my life, and that's just the perfect relationship right there. You know, I can just pull up their pictures and say hi every now and then and as I'm passing by and say, uh, please don't think I'm weird. That would hurt my feelings. But that's pretty weird, right? Uh, but here's the deal. How often do we go through life each day? We may show up at church and pass by somebody, and we give them the obligatory high, but they're not really in our lives. And that, that's why wrestle is, as a church, how can we come and go so easily and just let people just pass by and not really be in each other's lives? You see, in my made-up community, I get to call the shots. No one argues with me, and no one contradicts me, and that's the way I like life to be. Where I'm in charge, my opinion reigns supreme. In my made-up community, no one challenges me to have a significant Christian relationship. And, and so, since you found out that this pseudo-community is really made up, I need to let you in on a little secret. And the secret is this. I'm in jeopardy of becoming a very lonely person. Awkward pause. But don't feel sorry for me. Because statistics say that I'm not alone. See, check this out. George Gallup, the, 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 the pollster, did a recent study on Americans. He says Americans are amongst the loneliest people in the world. How is it that today, you know, today more than three-fourths of American people live in metropolitan areas, and more than two-thirds of those live in suburbs and we're surrounded by more people than ever before in history. And our country, according to the latest polls, show Americans as some of the loneliest people. And you say, that's fine because you've seen culture. You see how people can be lonely. But what about the church? Surely the church is different, right? Well, that's not entirely true. Studies show us that many American churches like the idea of church. They just find it more and more difficult to get connected within a local church. And, and one of the biggest reasons they say for this is individualism. The, in the search for the American dream, we've become more and more focused on our individualism and less and less on unity and community. In fact, according to Randy Frazee in his book, The Connecting Church, most Americans, he says, see individualism as positive. They see it as something that promotes free will, free market, good self-esteem, and free choices. Uh, the problem as it relates to community 
is that over the past 50 years of unrestricted individualism, we found the dark side of doing it our way. And the dark side is that we no longer share the same interests or common purpose. See, today's churches are not exempt, for, uh, not exempt from the influence of individualism. Our American churches are not filled with communities, but rather filled with a collection of individuals. And I don't make that statement with judgment, but rather to be descriptive of how things are, to really pull back the layers and have a clear understanding of how things are. You see, we're only beginning to see just how unrealistic this call to community can be when we continue to live individualistically. And given the lifestyle we advocate by our individual culture. And see, that's why I believe as the discipleship pastor that life groups cannot be disregarded. If we want community here at Fellowship, we have to be plugging into life groups. We need to be doing life with one another. And when I read God's word, I see a very different picture than what we're living out. See, what I see when I read the Bible is I see a connected church. And what I want to do is walk us through the Old Testament to the New Testament, back to the Old Testament. We're going to use God's Word this morning to really look at this and understand this. This isn't my concept. This is straight from God's Word on what it means about doing life together. You know, the the sermon is called It's Not Good because back in Genesis chapter 2, as God was creating everything, you know, just understand this. He's created the earth, set it into motion, the skies, the heavens, the animals, the aardvark, the elephant, the hippo, all these he said, this is good. And then he got to the point with man, and he said, man, and he says, here's man, Adam. Adam, name the animals. Adam, do this. Adam, then God looks at Adam and says, this is not good. In fact, Genesis chapter 2, 18 says, it's not, he says, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. But we are alone, and our society more and more is becoming alone. According to the American Sociological Review, they did a study featuring 1,500 face-to-face interviews where they found that more uh, more than one in four said that they had no one with whom they could talk about their personal troubles or triumphs. And they said if you remove family members, if they're not counted, the number doubles to more than half of the Americans who have no one outside their immediate family with whom they can share confidences. Sadly, the researchers noticed the increase in social isolationism and a very significant decrease in social connection to a close friend or family. And I, and I read that and I said, if God recognized that it's not good for man to be alone, then we, the bride, we, his church needs to recognize the same thing, that it's not good for man to be alone. See, we can't just go through the motions. We can't just, you know, punch our church time cards, wave at our neighbors, and say we have a community as a church when we're not plugging into each other's lives. We have a responsibility to come alongside each other and and, and undergird each other. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking simply about hanging out with one another. 
we can hang out with one another. But what we're not doing is pouring in significant Christian relationships where we're measuring stuff and we're basing stuff on God's word. If somebody's stumbling, we're able to encourage them with God's word. If somebody is, you know, struggling, we can uplift them with God's word and we can celebrate through God's word. We have significant Christians around us that are undergirding us through God's word. See, we all have opinion. I have an opinion. You have an opinion. In my makeup, you know, little world, I, my opinion reigns supreme. But if we all get into a world where each one of us wants to, you know, fight for whose opinion matters, we're just going to have conflicting opinion. That's why in significant Christian relationships, we walk back to the fact that it's about God's word and what God has to say for you and for me and how we're supposed to live our lives. And we base it on that. And we, we live according to what he says. You see, I love football. I can go to a Broncos game. I can sit in a crowd of thousands of people around me with the same interests, and I can still be just as lonely. It doesn't mean I've connected with them. It doesn't mean that other than an occasional high five on a good play, they're not speaking into my life. I'm not speaking into their life. We're just existing together. Significant Christian relationship is beyond that. It's when we have relationships with others that are going to encourage us to live according to God's plan. This, this community is not going to let us wander off into our own ideas or wallow in our own pity. Significant Christian relationship should be the backbone of every believer that says, you know what, I want to take that next step, and I want to surround myself with people who are going to encourage me to take the next step. And when I look at Scripture... I see God giving us a, a, an understanding of what it looks like in these communities, and it's profound, it's life-altering, and these relationships go against individualism. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 2. We had Old Testament. It's not good for man to be alone. We have the New Church, New Testament, where we get a, a glimpse of what this community looks like. Acts chapter 2. Starting at verse 42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They, who are they? They are the early church. We pick up in the part of the narrative where Jesus has ascended into heaven. The disciples have picked up the ministry of God and beginning to do great work in and through them. This was the beginning of a radical movement. These people heard the good news of Jesus and decided that it was a cause that they needed to be a part of. This was something worth committing their entire life to. So they devoted themselves to the teaching. Now, with the majority of these people being new converts, they dedicated themselves to saying, I want to know as much as I can know about this Jesus. I want to know as much as I can know about what you can teach me about what he said. And I imagine the early disciples teaching the new disciples about Jesus and all he taught and how he lived and giving the new converts the same instructions Christ gave us. The idea was not to live as individuals, but to be a part of this cause, to be a part of something so much bigger than them, a part of a community and they were willing to be a part of the movement, so they devoted themselves to the understanding of what this radical movement was all about. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. This is a life group. Check this out. It says they devoted themselves to God's word, the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to doing life together, and to breaking bread. And anytime bread is involved, it's a good thing. Amen? And it says they devote themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And, you know, I look at that and go, this is what we need. 
We need a community where we're coming together to learn God's word, to understand God's word, to live out God's word, to fellowship with one another. And any event with bread's a good event. Let's just do it like they did it. And then he goes on to say in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, when was the last time you were filled with awe. I mean, just so overwhelmed and filled with awe with what God was doing in you and through you and around you that you were just in awe. And unfortunately, the 80s ruined this whole idea because they came up, they didn't invent it, but they started overusing this word awesome. Yeah, it's so awesome. It's like everything became, I mean, Lego movies, everything is awesome. You know, and I just can't look at everything as, as awesome. I mean, you know, you take a glass of Kool-Aid, and people are like, oh, that's awesome. No, it's Kool-Aid. <laughs> and I can't just look at that. A glass of Kool-Aid may be refreshing, may be yummy, but it's not awesome. My God is awesome. And I should not let anything interrupt my God and being in awe of what he can do in and through me. I should be living that out. I should be a part of a community that says, you know what? We want to see this awe that comes from God. And they were living together. They were doing life together. And they were so filled with being about God that they were in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostle. Verse 44, and all the believers who were together had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, let me just pause right there. That The believers were together and had everything in common. That's rare. When was the last time you were with one person and had everything in common? But these people were so geeked out of what God had called them to do, what Jesus was doing in and through them, that they decided this is going to be countercultural. They said all the believers were together, had everything in common, and they sold their property because they decided that the cause of Christ was greater than any individual property or possession. It was so countercultural. I mean, this is punk rock movement 101. This is where they said, we're going to go against the norm. We're going to go against the grain and live out this thing. The cause is so great that we're going to be it's more than what we have. We're going to sell what we have in order for this cause of Christ to go farther. So I imagine this giant yard sale of all the believers together selling everything they had, all their possessions, it said, and all their property, their jet skis and their, you know, their, their lawnmowers and, or their donkeys and their whatever they had, they were selling it in order to say this cause must go on. Then I said, every day they continued to meet together in verse 46. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day they continued to meet together. Man, we wrestle to meet once a week together. When asked to be a part of a life group, that's just one more time I got to get together with people. Folks, do we want to be in awe of what God can do? Or do we just simply want to punch our time cards and just go through the motions? I believe God wants more of us. It says they broke bread in their homes. And we're so busy today that this has become a rare event. You hear of others doing this, of people regularly going to others' house. But what we do now as Americans is, hey, let's get together and go to a restaurant. And I am not bagging on a restaurant at all. Just look at me. You're going to say, he eats. Okay, I ain't afraid of a meal. 
And there ain't nothing wrong with the restaurant, but when was the last time we got together in homes? When was the last time you cooked a meal for somebody or I cooked a meal for somebody? Said, we're going to break bread and do life together. Instead of looking at it as an opportunity to just get out of the house or escape cooking a meal. So when I read this and I look at the New Testament church, I look at today's church culture and I have to ask what happened. Where, where did we stray from this idea of community and when did we say, you know what, church is just about one hour a week. Instead of doing life together on a regular basis, coming together and being motivated by one another, spurred on by one another to greatness, I believe we've replaced community with individualism. And the idea of community is God's design. He said, it's not good for us to be alone. I want you to have people in your life. It, it's been there since the beginning. You know, as we look at the book of Acts, it, it says, you know, unity is present in the greatest identifying mark of God's people. God was in community when he created us. Back in Genesis 1:26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God existed in community with Son. Holy Ghost, the triune relationship of God was in community before man. And he said, let's make man in our image. God created man in that image, which included community. In and through us is woven the design of we cannot do this by ourselves. We have to have people with us. That's why I think when God said Adam by himself, he says, that's not good. And if we're walking through life by ourselves, it's not good. You weren't designed to be isolated. You weren't designed to be on your own. In order to reach true biblical community, we must move beyond an individualistic mentality into a biblical community that we slow down enough to allow ourselves the opportunity to share life. The opportunity to share life, that, that comes at a cost. It means I can't be selfish, but I have to share. But I, I think even as children, we, we like learn that this is mine. We learn to just take what we can, as much as we carry, and say this is mine. But in order to truly have community, we have to let go and say this is ours. In fact, Philippians 2.4 says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And I wonder how often do we get caught up on this is mine and I don't want to share but instead of going, you know what? I need to put others first. I need to think about their interests and what they need and pour into their lives as well because I believe, deep down inside of me, I believe at the core that you and I are called to be incredible. You and I are called to be incredible, but we're not designed to do it by ourselves. We're called to amazing things and amazing challenges, but you're not called to do it by yourselves. We need others in our lives. We need other people speaking into our lives to help encourage us and guide us and keep us on track when we go astray. So what I want us to do is jump back to the Old Testament and understand that this whole idea of Acts is being lived out, but it's God's design. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon in all his wisdom said there's nothing new under the sun. And Ecclesiastes addresses our needs for others. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 9, where he says this, two 
are better than one because they have good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? If someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Let me just break that down here. He says two, verse nine, two are better than one because they have good reward for their efforts. First point, others make life more rewarding. Others make life more rewarding. And I thought, how can I just demonstrate this? How can we show life being more rewarding? And I was like, okay, something major, grand that we all can like grasp to. And I thought, you know, the stock market. Then I thought, no, something even better, Frisbee. Because here's the idea. And I'm not talking Frisbee golf. I'm talking old school, 1950s whammo, you know, the Frisbee. Have you ever tried playing, uh, is it playing or is it a game of Frisbee? I don't, ever been Frisbeeing by yourself? I mean, you just let it go, wah! And then you have to go chase it just to pick it up and do it again. I mean, playing Frisbee by yourself is not that rewarding. You know, it's like, man, great throw, high five myself, yes. Or if you had somebody with you and you're throwing or playing or participating in the act of frisbeeing with them, it comes back to you if thrown properly. <laughs> and then you get it. it it's reciprocal. It's, come, it's give and take, and it's much more rewarding. And he says, you know, for if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another there to play frisbee. And so others make life more rewarding. Then he goes on to say, also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? Now, understand where they lived. Understand the homes they lived in. It wasn't like they were off in their own individual rooms. And it wasn't one of the things where, hey, it's cold in here. I'm going to walk to the hallway, and I'm just going to bump the thermostat. You know, I'm just going to annoy my wife by turning it up or down. I'm just going to. It was one of the things where families were in the same room together. This is how the, the community, the family structure was in the homes. And if, you know, that's how warmth, they might have a little fire, but being huddled together kept them warm. And he says, you know, woe to someone who doesn't have someone there to keep him warm. Now, I grew up in Phoenix. You know, I know what hot is. And Phoenix uh, has this football team, sort of. Um, okay, so when you grow up there and they say, hey, we got you an NFL team. It's the Cardinals. You're kind of going, really? Thanks. Um, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was a big deal because everybody else's team was coming to town. Okay, like the most sold-out sh games was when the Dallas Cowboys would come to Phoenix. Okay, and so Cardinals tickets were sometimes easily to come by some seasons. And so I remember getting a Cardinal ticket and being excited that I get to go see the Cardinals because I really hadn't gone. I'd, I'd seen ASU play there, but I'd never seen the Cardinals. And, you know, growing up in Phoenix, it's usually pretty warm even in the fall and winter. And so I decided to leave my house and go to a Cardinals game wearing shorts and a T-shirt. 
All of a sudden, this front moved in. I mean, it was almost snow conditions. I'm not making this up. It was cold, and I'm sitting there by myself early because I'm all amped up to watch a football game, and nobody's there, and it's getting cold, and I'm in shorts, and I'm in my T-shirt, and I'm miserable. And I remember thinking, I sure hope somebody shows up to this game. I'm just going to go over and cuddle up with them. No, that'd be awkward. What I was hoping for was that more people would come around and more people would be there. And before long, I'm not by myself and I'm not miserable because there's people around me. And he's saying, you know what? If you don't have that, if you don't have that to take care of you, you know, how can a person who is alone keep warm? Others make life less miserable. If you've got to go through something tough, if you've got to go through something that's going to challenge you and it's going to be unpleasant, you want someone there to comfort you and to encourage you and to walk alongside you so you don't have to do it all by yourself. And then in verse 12 he says, And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. My third point is that others make us stronger. If I'm by myself, I can be overtaken. Maybe. No. But if I have somebody with me, I'm stronger. And then it says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's not easily overtaken. You know, now you're standing amongst people that we've got. Someone has my back. And I wonder, he just stopped at a cord of three or a strand of three cords. I wonder what happens when we have four people, five people in our community is just so strong that we know that no matter what we're facing, there are people that have our back. That it's amazing that we don't have to do this alone. I want us to jump back over to the book of Acts. Because the final verse of chapter 2 emphasized the remarkable unity of the early Christian church in their movement when they came together, when they did life together, when they shared everything together. And it says this, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. I believe, I'm crazy enough to believe that God wants to add to his kingdom. I believe God wants to add to what we have going on here at Fellowship. I don't think he's done with us. I think there's more ahead of us. And I think God wants to add to us. And he's challenging us to be in community. That what if, church, what if we started living in community and people of Pueblo started looking at us and said, I don't know what they have, but I want that. And we're able to say what we have is Jesus Christ, and this is how he's called us to live. That we're not a bunch of individuals, but that we're a community who's come together and said, this is how I want to live it out. Is with people around me that are going to challenge me and, and, and help me grow and help me understand what it is to have this relationship beyond just my own opinion, but through God's word. See, I believe God wants people to be in fellowship with him. God loves us so much that he gave us his son so that we could have fellowship with him. And God can use a place like Fellowship Iraqis to accomplish true biblical community. We just have to allow our focus to be on him and not on ourselves. The gathering together of the believers is not something we should fit into our schedule. It's not something we should sacrifice in order to obtain the world. Instead, we should sacrifice the world in order to have the cause of Christ. And we need to begin with our commitment to meet together as believers and to allow the things of this world to take a back seat. So I want to close by asking this simple question. How's your community? 
who's speaking truth into your life? Biblical truth. Not just opinion, but truth. Do you find yourself surrounded by people who are helping you each day to grow closer and closer to God? And maybe you are. So then the next question I have for those people are, are you pouring your life into someone else? Someone else? 